Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm sitting in the railway station, got a ticket for my destination. And today, legendary songwriter Paul Simon. On a tour of one night stands, my suitcase and guitar in hand. And every stop is neatly planned for a poet and a one-man band. Homeward bound. Paul Simon doesn't often give interviews. He occasionally tours, recently with Sting, but mostly Simon lives a quiet life at home in Connecticut with his wife, singer Edie Brickell. There he spends his time making music and writing songs. He's written hundreds, a large number of which are among the most popular and admired in music history. Bridge Over Troubled Water, Kodachrome, Slip Sliding Away, Graceland, to name a few. Over the years, the way he creates his songs has changed. The process has evolved. There's still elements of it that are like the, the, my first instincts about uh, writing, but otherwise it's become uh, much slower and much more complicated, I think. Well, of course, it's entwined with record-making with me that's singing both and... I, it's a complicated process now. It's um, to you know to do it abstractly without referring to one particular song. Probably wouldn't show you as much as if I gave you an example. But well, describe uh, what it was like before. They just came ripping out of you all the time. Um, I'm not. No, I was never a really fast writer. But when I was in my uh, early twenties. Um, and I wrote all the songs for, uh, all the beginning songs for Simon and Garfunkel. That came pretty fast. I was living partly here and partly in England, and yeah, I, well, really, you know, I mean, within a five-year period of, from like 1965 to 1969, uh, I wrote, uh, God, most of my big hits, you know, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Sound of Silence, Mrs. Robinson, The Boxer, Homeward Bound, I Am a Rock. Uh, 
America. Let's see, America, Feeling Groovy was a hit for somebody else. Um, so I was faster, but now I'm much slower. This last group of songs that I've been working on has been probably taking me about three years. But it isn't like I finish a song and go on to the next. I just keep working on the songs. So some of them are like in a work way? in progress that's like three Perfectionism. No, I don't like that word because it implies... <laughs> I've got about nine questions that use uh -huh. the word perfectionism in them, so I'll well, delete those questions. Well, I just don't think it's... It's like any performance. If I said to you, oh, Alec, you're just like, you know, you're just a perfectionist, you know. You know, why do you want to take another take? It was great. You're a perfectionist. You're... You know, your answer would be, there's no perfect. I'm yeah. not going for perfect. Yeah. I'm going for something that I know, and I know it when it happens. For me, That's it, what you would say as a performer. We, well, we I know as when close I give as a good, you can, yeah. Well, how can I get right. as close as I can to what I think is it? Right. You know, I mean... Uh, it takes time. But even if you got it 100%, you wouldn't say, well, this is a perfect performance. You'd say, no, I realized my vision, or I realized how I wanted to play this, but you wouldn't describe it as perfect, right? Perfect doesn't have anything to do yeah, with, no. with, the whole, with the whole thing. No, no, for me, so, perfect is out of the question. <laughs> it is out of the question. It's like Japanese temples where they always leave some imperfection in a Zen temple because the idea of striving for a perfect temple is an affront to, uh, you know, God. It's not possible for man to do a thing without imperfection. With, with no imperfections. When you write music now, is there like a state you want to get into? Is there a place? Is there a whole... You want to be I left find, alone for a couple of hours to think about it? I mean, how, what's... I find I'm basically thinking about this all the time when I'm not thinking about, um, you know, my wife and family or some little crisis that comes up or something like that. If my mind is just you know, free to go where it wants to go, it goes to the songs I'm working on. Constantly. Just all the time. When you wrote music before, were there any of them that just came right out of you? And yeah, you some, just had them, boom. Some, well, sometimes they do in the early ones, of course, like uh, The Sound of Silence. I wrote that when I was 21 years old and I have no idea. Couldn't have taken very long, but I mean, I have no idea how I even wrote that song because... And at the time, it wasn't like I was really surprised that I wrote it. I, I thought, this is good. This is a good song. But I'd, I had no idea what that was. Mm -hmm. Same with Bridge Over Troubled Water. You know, I wrote it. I said, this is better than I usually write. This is a, this, this was a, this is a good song. But I didn't know that it was going to be a song that was going to be 50 years. And people, you know, would know it for, you know. The songs you've made that have been in film soundtracks, were you appreciative of that and grateful yeah, for that? Yeah, it depends. Depends. On depends on how they were used or something, you know. Look, I, there's no time that I've, uh, that I could say I object to the way my song is used in, uh, in your movie. Because, I mean, if I objected that much, I don't have to give them a license. I control uh, my publishing. So, so, I mean, sometimes I think, oh, this is really good. You know, like, um, what did I see the other day? Uh, Anderson's film about the family. Wes Anderson? Tenenbaums? Yeah, the Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums. The Royal Tenenbaums, right. right. I just saw the Royal Tenenbaums again the other day. I hadn't seen it probably in, I don't know, what, 10 years or something sure. like that, eight years or something. And uh, they used me and Julio in there, and it's perfect. Comes in, well, I said, there I said perfect. Well, I could say it about somebody else's work. 
anyway, it's a it's a very good choice. It sort of explodes yeah. in a joyous way. That's what happened goes on the joy ride with the kids. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. I you narrated make... that film. That's why I know that film. Oh, uh-huh. I, mean, I love his films. He's such an oddball. Yeah, I like his films a lot. And I really like that one, which I hadn't seen in a while. And I, you know, I love Gene Hackman's performance. In that. Was Cape Man the only musical you did? Were there others yeah. who were on the drawing board? That was the only one. No. You ever that was attempted, conceived, nothing. That was it. Yeah, it takes so long to make them. Well, it takes me a long time to do anything, you know, to do anything. But uh, it took a long time to make the to make the Cape Man. That was about five years. And the, and the idea began when? Uh, the idea was, um, I think it was after Graceland and uh, and the Rhythm of the Saints. I said, well, I mean. It's time to do something else. I don't know how do I follow those albums, or you know. So I'll do. I said, well, okay, I'll try it. Take my hand at a musical, and then that kid, Sal Agron, he, he's just in my memory from when I grew up here. So I picked him because that would mean that the music would be doo-wop, and also he was Puerto Rican, so that means there would, there would be Latin music in there too. So. To me, I said, I could be interested in listening to a musical that was doo-wop and Latin. I like both of them. I think it would be a nice, and here's a story. So that's how I picked it. You know, that's, that's why I did it. And, you know, I mean, as it, as it turns out, we, we didn't do it very well. And, uh, what, 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 now, what do you mean by that? Why? What, what, what well, would I you should, have done I should, differently I should, looking I back in retrospect? It, I shouldn't really put it that way. It was notably unsuccessful. Right. Uh, but I think people criti- still... Critically and everything. And there were serious flaws with it as a piece, but actually a lot of it was really good. I mean, I think a lot of people were thrilled by the attempt that you made. People who were, you know... Oh, yeah. It was professionally like a, malicious. Yeah, yeah, There's a lot what, to like in that. Yeah, pe- yeah it, had a, it, it brought a lot of goodwill. People liked it. And, uh, but it wasn't a success. But when it came back at BAM, uh, I don't know, whatever it was seven, eight years ago, and then when it was done in Central Park two years after that, they were both successful. Uh, Anyway, I think it was a very interesting piece, and um, I'm not by any means embarrassed by it. I think there's some really good things in there. Certainly the best doo-wop song I ever wrote is in there. And uh, But anyway, I don't really have any interest in doing it again. You don't? No. Are there other things you think of? Do you think about films, just scoring films? Never. That, that was the, that well, was the one I, deviation for you, Cape Man. Um, no, it's not something that I think of. But if somebody came to me with a really interest, like for example, there's a an old friend of mine who's a playwright, and he asked me if I would write some guitar music to a new play that he wrote, and I said, yeah. It's kind of interesting idea, but I wouldn't think to myself, I'd love to write some guitar music for. A theatrical piece. Would make films. Um, if somebody came to me with an idea, I would. I might be very excited by it. But really, what I think about naturally is writing songs and making records. And I'm really content to not do anything other than that because I'm still learning about that. So I think it's getting better. And as the work 
sort of uh, the work getting better is a, is a manifestation of me understanding things that I've been working on for, you know, a long time. Some things like, you know, decades and decades. Some, for example? Some, I don't have a specific example. I'm just thinking about how you, you over decades, learn a sense of what words to stay away from, what words to go to. Uh, how rhythm could be used, how melody... You just learn, you know, from your craft. Uh, it's interesting you say what words to stay away from. That's interesting. Uh, in different circumstances, you would want to stay away from certain, certain you words. You love words. Uh, you were going to be a lawyer, correct? No, I never... I, I went to law school for a year, but that was a complete... Uh, that was a complete misunderstanding of who I was by me. Where'd you go? Brooklyn Law. And for how long? One year? Yeah. What was it like? It was so boring. I wasn't interested in it. I had no reason to be there. Was it your idea? Yeah. You weren't responding to some pressure? It was my idea. No. No. What happened was uh, a bunch of my friends in college were going to take the law board. So I, so they said, you should take them. So I was an English major. But I said, okay, I'll take them. And I took them, and I scored very high on them. So, you know, at 20 years old or whatever, you know, I said, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to be a lawyer or something. I mean, if I scored so high on these, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, so I went and, you know, did a year of uh, in Brooklyn. So the year in Brooklyn... So you, I made the record. I had made that record with Artie by then anyway. Yeah, exactly. Columbia deal in 64? Yeah, so we had made this Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., and the acoustic version of The Sound of Silence in 1964, right. you know? Um, so I was at school then, and I probably wrote it then. You know, I don't remember when I wrote it, but a year or two before we recorded it. You know, so uh, anyway, it was um, just one of those. You know, could have wasted it on on a lot of worse things than that. Sure. I suppose, uh, but I was going to England. Then every break I had, I was going to to, Why? to England. I had my friends there. I had my girlfriend there, and uh, and then uh, and the first semester became... at school, I got. Bees and I wasn't showing up or doing anything, and I said, "This is, you know, I don't know, it's ridiculous." The next semester, I got all D's, you know, and I said, "You know, I mean, the truth is, I just don't want to be this, right. you know, I don't want to be here, so I'm, I'm leaving, you know." Um, it's not like I said, "Oh, well, now I'm, I better really dig in if I don't want to get a D." I just said, "I'm just totally indifferent. I'm just in the wrong place," and I went and I moved to England and. Uh, was your girlfriend the one at that time, Kathy. the one who you married? No, Kathy, no. Okay. who has of of you know the songs about her. You've got a whole list of questions. Are these questions that you're interested in, or the questions that you think people will be interested in? I get a list of questions that I have a producer write, and some volume of them I use, but I write a lot of my own questions because mm -hmm. you know, the basic principle is: I want people to describe for me in the whether it's you. Whether it's Obama, it doesn't matter who it is. Everybody I want them to describe. How has it felt to be you? Really, that's the basic premise of the show. What about if somebody doesn't want to describe that? Uh, they're free to do as, whatever they please. Maybe they don't even want to describe that to themselves. To themselves. 
Well, maybe some people... In other words, it's a way of thinking about life is what you're saying. Some people come in here and after about 20 minutes, they begin to have a conversation that I think that they wanted to have. I mean, my next question for you is, what did your parents think when you were so young? Did your parents have any kind of opinion about your career at that age? You were 16 years old when you were on American Bandstand? Well, I don't think that anybody thought of it as a career. I I thought they were, you know, happy. I made a record. The record got played on the radio. It was, you know, kind of a hit. We went on television. What did they think about that? They were happy. You know, my father was a professional bass player, and he was used to be on some television shows that, you know, like um, the the Arthur Godfrey show. Sure. He was in that band, and Jackie Gleason, he was on that band. So, I mean, it, it wasn't that it was out of the question that you would ever see somebody on television, because, yeah. like, we'd... You know, when there we were kids, wait, let's, see it, let's see if we see Dad, you know, when they show the band. But So... You know, it was like, it's not exactly a show business family, but it's not exactly civilian either. You know, he was, he was a good musician. I'm sure he didn't think that the piece of work that we did was very good, uh, but he was happy that it was a hit. Did that change what his opinion about my work? Right. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Sure. I wonder what that was like for him. Well, you know, it's a very, very interesting question and one that I think about a lot. But I do really do think that it's like a, one of those questions that even though there's nothing in in the response that would be hurtful or anything, it's just one of those things where, like, it's sort of my life, you know? Like, it's not... It's very entertaining, I know, for people, but... Why should I do that? Yeah, not the kind of thing you want to talk about. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh. How he felt about, you know, me. Obviously, it was like, it is a very interesting subject and a complex, and a complex subject, you know. And I think about it a lot. Because as you can imagine, it would be, provoke all kinds of, um, all kinds of respo- responses in parent-child relationships. But everything happens to everybody, you know? It's not like there's anything of mine that is that different from anybody else's experiences that I should, you know, Open up bequeath it that much more time, you know? It's like some, yeah, there was something up. Something was off, you know, but... I was crazy about him. I'm sure he was crazy about me. And uh, and if there was a complication in it, then okay, it's like but, but what, if, what, if, else, what else? You know, as opposed to let me figure out what that complication was and let's talk about it. <laughs> that's that's so so. Let's go to you know another subject. <laughs> The, um, you to, you to, I don't mean to be rude. Do you want to ask me another question about that? Or? The only reason I ask is because, I mean, for me, my dad died when I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And he never got to see any of what I did. And I'm always interested in people's relationships with their parents in terms of just how, how it may or may not affect what you do. You know, how may I, you know, just anecdotally, I noticed that people whose childhoods 
are more troubled than mine was. But, you know, had had some kind of hardships, usually money issues or something like that, or family or broken, you know, divorce or, you know, that there's more interest in the subject than I naturally feel about it, having grown up with just my younger brother in a peaceful, loving uh, family. I mean, I can say that I really wanted to get out of there, you know, but... For what purpose? You just, you know, I was ready... To be who you wanted to be. Yeah, I was free, you know, I just wanted to be free. So there's a picture of my... uh, my son Adrian, that that I love, he's sitting. He's sitting in a snowsuit. He looks like he's maybe a year old. He's sitting in the snow in Central Park, and the look of exasperation on his face is so profound that I know it's like he was already whoever he was, and he just you know said, "Oh man, do I have to go through this whole thing to get up to?" You know, he was that guy already, and whoever I was. They, uh, people weren't prepared for for what it is that I was in the world that I came from. Nobody, nobody said, "Well, uh, will you make your living as an artist?" Like that wasn't a possibility. Certainly, you couldn't make your living as a rock and roll artist. And I mean. Forget about, like, the greatest songwriters or something like that. Just even a songwriter. You know, like, you're going to, like, be a songwriter? So nobody was saying anything particular, like, uh, wow, you're really gifted. You should, you know, do this, study that. Uh, You know, it was, like, great. My father's thing was great. You know, you you can do this. You know, it's better than waiting on tables, you know? So be, be a musician, but don't be a musician for your whole career, but I was already long gone into that. Paul Simon's career in music has made an indelible mark. Simon and Garfunkel won the Grammy for Lifetime Achievement, and Simon himself belongs to an elite club of musicians inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. Other members include Michael Jackson, Lou Reed, Paul McCartney, and John Lennon. Take a listen to our archives where I speak with another musician with a long and storied career, Radiohead's frontman, Tom York. You've been with those guys for how long now? We started when we were 16, mm-hmm. Radiohead, so that's quite a while. What do you attribute that to? <sighs> Persistence. My great diplomatic skills, not. More at heresthething.org. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. 
For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Alec Baldwin. And you're listening to Here's the Thing. As the story goes, Paul Simon met Art Garfunkel during a sixth-grade production of Alice in Wonderland. Four years later, they signed with a label under the pseudonym Tom and Jerry, and their song Hey Schoolgirl reached the Billboard charts. Today, Paul Simon has 12 Grammys, and in 2007, he became the first recipient of the Library of Congress's Gershwin Prize for Popular Song. Paul never stops working on his music, and he brought a CD of some of his latest songs to our interview. I guess it's an album. You know, I don't even know what it is anymore because I'm, I'm working on a group of songs, and I've been working on them for a long time. And, uh, and I'm also working on different sounds. And, you know, as you combine things from different places... Uh, and you find a way of expressing yourself by doing that. There's something calming about that. It's good, and it sort of spills you into the rest of your life 
you start to problem solve in the same way. You, you start to just have a certain connection that you that you sense and and you believe in it, and you go you, you go with it. And if I have to break down what my instincts are uh, c- cerebrally and tell you why, I can. You know, but it's not really necessary for me to get in the way of whatever the flow is going to is going to give me. And then, you know, after I've reached a certain amount of songs, I cut it off and say, "Okay, that's this group. Let's now I'll take a look and see is that is that something? You know, what is it? Well, I've just finished it. What is it now? You know, because it's not it's not the same process as like a. a a movie uh, company says, "Here, I want to make a movie. You know, here's here's what it is. Here's the and here's the budget. And when you finish it, we'll judge it. You know, but in the context that you're making it is that is a certain context. I'm not doing that. I'm just finishing a bunch of songs and then saying, what does that mean? And my, I guess my, you know, my first real question is, is like." What does that mean to somebody else who's listening to it? Do you have a producer? No, no, I, I, no producer. I produce. All the albums you've made over the many, many years, how many of them, what percentage would you say you had a producer? It doesn't matter. They weren't really. They weren't. You know, they, they, were totally they helped me. totally self-determining. They helped me. And, well, look, there can be a producer who says, let's pick the songs and then you, you, know, you go, we'll get the musicians... And uh, we'll do it like this. And the artist says, okay, well, I do that. I make up the songs. I make up the sounds. What I need to work with in a collaboration is a great engineer, and I am working with one. You do it all in the same studio? I do it up in a little, like a little right. studio in my house. Right. You record everything there? Well, no, if, as a, if there are big, bigger things like... Uh, Drums or something like that. I, I might not do it. I might do it in a studio. But I have to record the drums there too. Well, the other day we uh, we went up to this church in uh, in Hartford and we recorded uh, a big pipe organ to put on one of the tracks. It's interesting. Anyway, you know, you would know what I was talking about if you had heard any of this and your reaction to it was, "Oh, I like that. I like to hear it again. That's entertaining. I like it." You know. Because most music that you hear that's new, it's like, you know, Steve Martin's got a great joke. And he says, uh, well, I'd like to play a new song for you now. He said, you know, if you're like me, when an artist says they'd like to play a new song, I always think, please don't, you know. <laughs> and it's very hard to get anybody to really like something that you're doing that's new. Uh, or to like anything, Really? Not, I did SNL once, and Lorne had me tip McCartney and hand him a wad of money at the opening and say, only the old stuff, Paul, please, only the old stuff. And I slip him a, a $20 bill or something. But, uh-huh. but you're right. No one wants to hear the new stuff. Unless it's really good. Right. It's, it's, it's that people, people have, been, have heard enough stuff that isn't good that they now are wary. You know, When people were really interested in songs and stuff, like if you go to the 60s or that, into that period of, you know, people were really interested to see if what was your new song. They didn't dread it. They dread it now because people don't have any particularly great ideas with their new song. You're better off going to a new artist. And get Do you that. listen to music now? 
all the time. You devour, I won't say devour, but do you listen to a lot of music? Um, for, for what purpose? Beyond pleasure, beyond consuming it like everybody else does. What, what, what's music in your life? Wait, what purpose? Beyond pleasure? But do you, you need, mean, like, do like, you need you, a purpose? You, you, you don't need a purpose. You don't, you don't listen you to don't things to find out what people are doing. In popular music? Right. No. Well, I'm just curious. Yeah. No, I don't much listen to popular music. You just, you just asked me if I listen to music. Right. What, what kind of music? All kinds. Right. Everything. You know, old music, new, new classical music, music from different composers, odd composers, uh, gospel music, country music. Yeah, it depends. If I'm driving in the car, I have this like five or six stations programmed, and like, what are they? Well, fifties, Sinatra, Willie's. I have the Sinatra <laughs> channel. That's all. Willie's Place, uh, Elvis Presley, which is a very disappointing channel. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think BB BB King's Bluesville, and one other. It might be a. Another jazz. The sources that are that I am drawing from are far enough afield. I think that you you don't think uh, to yourself, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm listening to this in the context of my music. For example, there's a composer named Harry Parch, and uh, he's dead now. He died in the seventies. He was he. he um, he was born in the West Coast in the early part of the 20th century. Anyway, Harry Parch's uh, belief was that, that, that an octave is not divided into 12 notes, like you see on a piano. If you go from C to C, including black keys and white keys, it's 12 notes. He said that's a false division of the way music occurs. Really, an octave has about 43 distinct notes. And in order for him to compose this microtonal music, he had to build instruments that played microtonally. Anyway, this composer, uh, his instruments were out at Montclair State uh, in New Jersey. And, uh, and I made contact. One of the guys in my band knew uh, uh, the guy who was curating those instruments. And he played Harry Parch music. His name was Dean Drummond. He died, he died about a year and a half ago. But anyway, I got into this thought that this song that I wrote would be very good uh, in a context of this microtonality. So I went out there and recorded it and put the song down and, you know... So I can't say that I'm listening to find out something... I'm not listening and saying, what are you doing? Oh, well, let's see. Oh, that's, right. that's hipper than I am, or that's not as hip as I am. Or, I'm listening to things that are sounds and, or thoughts that, I, that I'm interested in. You know, so that's one track on this. I mean, the other tracks are, have all other, other reasons. And then, you know, for, for happening, uh, like, rhythmically or sonically. And then... There's also the whole th question of sound. What sounds are pleasing? How often to change a sound so that the mind is really being entertained in a way it likes? 
the use of all of that. If he, if my feeling is, if you do it properly, uh, anybody or, a, or many people who listen to it will find pleasure from it because it's a. Uh, there's a some there. It, 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 it professes to have a truth to it. In other words, I do believe that. Uh, there are 43 tones. Because if you hear people singing uh, a cappella, you'd say, oh, that's out of tune or that's out, or they're terrible. But no, I mean, it's the human voice going down these all these different pitches between this note and this note, and the guy's right. There are all those pitches. It's only that we divided it in that particular way that makes us think that's flat or that's sharp. So, I mean, that's a very... You know, and not only is it an interesting musical thought, it's just an interesting thought, period. When you you write music um, over the years, you had a partner. You've had some ad hoc collaborations with people, like you did some, uh, you performed with Sting. Yeah. You did a tour with him. But but I'm assuming that you haven't done a lot of that, have you? Have you had a lot of opportunities to do that and it's not that interesting to you? Or, like, when when, when it comes to happen, what happens with Sting, how does that happen? Well, Sting, you know, uh, that's a performance a collaboration. That happened because we were both singing at a, at a fundraising event. We both were supposed to sing at a fundraising event, you know, with just the acoustic guitar. And uh, so we said, okay, let's do it together and we'll sing two duets, you know, let's pick the songs. So that's how that happened. But otherwise, I do lots of, I just got a, I just got a, uh, uh, contacted by um, Aaron Neville, who's my friend, who said, "Let's do something." He's my you neighbor. Know. I see him on the street all the time. He where is. I live you know, I mean, I'm definitely going to do something with Aaron Neville. I just did something with Dion. It's really good too. Wow, it's really good. You know, I mean, it's interesting. So, uh, I mean, these are various things that I think you know that I that I think of, and uh, the fact that uh, it's not the mainstream. Well, it's, I don't know. It's it's neither here nor there. I mean, it it's it, it, it you know, hate to say it is what it is, but it is what it is. That's that's what I do with my time and my thoughts. I'm not uh, making a making any case for it. The only case I can make for that is if I what I do is entertaining, and then you know, then I'd say, oh, okay, so I'm uh, you know, the way I'm thinking is is good. At the time that you collaborated with Garfunkel. Would you write songs and you'd and, and he was in your head and he was in the music DNA wise when you were writing the music? I'm assuming so when you were together. And and, and if and, and the follow up to that is, do you find that now sometimes you write songs and you and that comes is it an old habit that can come in for you? Not even necessarily him, somebody else. Do songs come to your head sometimes that you write? Music seems to be passing through you like waves, you know, and when that happens, you ever sit there and go, well, that would, I would need someone else to do that with me. No, no more. No, not anymore. No. Something else, I mean, well, first of all, uh, to go all the way back to the times that I sang with Artie, since we started singing together, it was kind of natural for me to, in what I wrote for the two of us to sing it. I... I didn't spend any time thinking about what I should do that's going to be good for the two, you know, singable for the two of us. What I was writing was singable for the two of us, and it probably didn't separate until I wrote Bridge Over Trouble Water, which 
you know, when I wrote that, I said, well, Artie should sing that. You know, not, it shouldn't be two, two voices. Artie should sing that, and, you know. But otherwise, I really didn't spend a lot of time thinking about who, you know, who... I just sort of just keep writing the songs. They're mostly about... They're mostly about my life, you know? Not a, I'm not writing so for somebody. I'm life. not writing somebody. I'm not writing for somebody else. You don't want to talk you know? about your life, but your life's in the music. Yeah, to the degree to which I would talk about. Right. You know, right. I'm not uh, pretending that I'm that I'm a cipher. You know, I mean, you can, you, you know, you can infer lots about who I am in my life from the information that's available. But that's, you know, I wish it. I wish it wasn't available. It's weird times we live in that way. Yeah, you know. I mean, without getting into any of that, you know, kind of stuff. I mean, my own life, it's like, I just can't believe how much it's like. Definitely, yeah. It's it's like there's people there, while you and I are sleeping, there's people doing push-ups in the garage, and they wake up and they want to kill you. You know, they just want to, they want to just, you know, know. deconstruct you and take you down. It's It's a really big distraction if you're trying to work on some problem that you really can't quite grasp anyway. Which is what's always going on with me and and the music and the writing. It's like I'm just can't quite grasp that problem, and then you keep pushing. And when you do, if you do it right, you, then you get, then you solve the problem. Great. Now, what's the next problem? I remember, and I'll never forget. You know, I certainly have had my public relations reversals, and what I realized this is, I, I don't want you to love me or hate me. Now I get up there. I do what I do. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, but I, I don't do the sales, the salesmanship anymore at all. I just don't do it. Well, of course not, because it's it really takes a lot of energy and thought <sighs> to do that. And if you're spending your energy and thought on that, then you're not spending it on what you're interested in, which which is what, however you think about uh, about acting and movies and that. And that's why they came to you in the first place because they liked what you did. So now they're going to distract you with. Something and you won't be able to do what you did as well, and then they'll say, "Oh, he doesn't do it as well." So, for the the job for the for the artist is to say, I, "You know, I, I can't pay too much attention to you, or I can't get this done." You know, at a certain point, okay, you know. How's the business changed? I mean, that's well, a common question. Well, but for I was you, just going to say, but in a certain sense, you know, there's there's it's not like this is a it's not a very uh, profitable business uh, it's for been like that person. it's been like that for a long time you know for with the exception of a couple of acts at the at the top and the records don't sell anywhere near what they did but it's a long change that's coming and uh, I I assume that the eventually the digital world will start to pay musicians uh, the way they used to pay them you know. Uh, right now, it's not a. You can't really make a. You can't really make a great a great living at it. But um, having said that, for me, since I'm not in the position of needing to make a living, fortunately, you know, I'm I'm grateful for that. I can spend time thinking about this, which is either an indulgence on my part or is a worthwhile investigation, depending upon how people listen to it and what they say afterwards. If they say, great, then okay. Some people sold their songwriting uh, 
royalties. I mean, their rights over the years. I mean, the Beatles themselves sold a lot of that and uh, and then got it back. But and you didn't. Was there ever a time when people just came to you and tried tried to wrestle from you? Your they tried to tempt you to buy because you. I mean, I'm I'm saying this in hopefully a flattering flattering way because your music is so enduring and so you know truth and beauty and abundance. And it's going to play forever. And you wonder, mm-hmm. are they going to? Do, do, do people come to you and just try to make you some insane offer to kind of run off with your song rights? Um, no, no, no. <clears throat> yeah, there have been offers to buy it. I, I, that's not a. I don't see that. I don't see that I would want to sell that. Yeah, no, of course not. If you didn't, no. yeah. Uh, How wonderful for you that you didn't. <laughs> You know, in terms oh, of just, in the you know, that yeah, I'm lucky that I, yeah, well, I grew up in the record business here in New York, so, uh, you know, I knew about having your own publishing company, which was nothing. All you had to do was file, a, you know, some papers with Albany, and you were a company. And you could publish your own songs. Nobody was selling songs the way publishers used to, so nobody was entitled to any of it. So you start your own publishing company, and I did. And, you know, luckily, I started with The Sound of Silence. And, uh, so yeah, that's uh, what's what's your question? In <laughs> <laughs> a different time, you know, you see the way that the business is now and how tough it is to sell recordings and to make a living, quote unquote, to make a good living in this business. And people maybe they thought that that would never evolve that way. And for whatever reason, they sold their music rights. Mm-hmm. And they made a lot of money. What was a lot of money back then? I'm sure that they felt mm-hmm. that they were doing the the right thing. And nearly everybody I know that did that regretted that. I mean, they were you, know, they always, the, the rights to your intellectual property is king, and you want to hold on to that. I think it's how fortunate for you that you were able to do that. Well, you know, it's got to be a very <laughs> difficult thing for somebody to sell yeah, their, the thing that they made, you know, even even if they're really well compensated. You still, you know, you're still... It's not, you don't have any distance from that product. It's your, it's your work. It's, uh, it's you. You know, so you're, sell, you're selling it. It's got to be some level of discomfort with that, you know. Even if you say, look, hey, I'll, I'll take, the, I'll take this, this level of discomfort for this much money. You know, okay, I will. It better be. Okay, yeah, maybe. Well, let's take a quick, quick, uh, uh, can we have the, um, the music? What, what are we playing? Have you been told? I don't, I don't know if we, what, just what we want to do with this because nobody's ever heard this. You, are you are you comfortable with us playing this over the radio? I have to think about that for a minute. I was just going to play it for you. Okay. At this point in our interview, Paul Simon plays me a new song, Insomniac's Lullaby. Well, I, I'm afraid to ask you any questions now, as we come to the end of our time together. But are you an insomniac? Do you have trouble sleeping? Or are you a good sleeper? No, I find you are. Yeah, good sleeper. You're a good sleeper. <laughs> I only ask that because I have terrible insomnia. It just it, it rules my life. I mean, like, and I just don't. You're a good sleeper. Um. Well, but I, I have a lot of nightmares. Well, you open that door sleeper. now. What, what? 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 What do you think that's about? Oh no, I didn't open okay. any door. <laughs> I'm just telling you that. Okay. Okay. okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you're, you're right. Yeah, you're that's, just that's all. Yeah. No, we were just having a casual conversation about sleep. What's going to happen to this music? You're going to release this? 
Oh, you don't know? Oh, yeah. You are? Oh, sure. As soon as I finish, I'll put it out and see, see what it's... And then I'll probably go and play it live, you know? It's tough to play some of this stuff live, but I'll figure it out. And I, I like my band. You know, it's the band that, I, that was on tour with Sting. And uh, I like to, you know, that's my band. I like to go out and play and you play, still do. play new music and not, you know... I don't want to play. Uh, I don't know if I. If I'm, I'd like to play some smaller theaters. Now I like that sound the best of the. You know I think like so three thousand seat, four thousand seat, twenty five hundred to four thousand. That that size has the best sound. By the way, I did hear forty two notes, inside of each, octave there. I, I heard okay. a lot. I heard at least forty. Yeah, those were the instruments. That I, heard, was, I heard something going. Uh, yeah. It sounded different. Yeah. Sounded I know, different. it is different. But when you record, are there spaces that turn you on or that's irrelevant, the environment? No, it's not irrelevant. Well, in the studio, if you're, I mean, studios are disappearing, but uh, the thing that you always looked for in the studio was how did it sound. And what was the lucky studio for you? Um, there were lots of them in New York. I mean, but they've mostly closed. Well, there used to one. be a lot. Used sure. to be a lot. Well, A and R was a studio that existed for a long time. It's been closed forever. There's no more Columbia Studios here. Uh, there's no. The Hit Factory is gone. Um, there's only you know. There's um, there's uh, Avatar. That's that's a good place. That has a good. That has a good studio. And uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, room, there are rooms that are, you know, really good rooms. And, and in, in the history of recording, that really used to be the case. Like, uh, I mean, I went to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, to record because that, that place had, those guys and that place had a sound. You just turned on the switch, and there it was, you know. It was just, you know, it was magic. And then, that's not the way music is made today, I don't think. I don't know. I really don't know how... Uh, not, I don't think that's the way music is made. Who would you love to go into a studio with and make a record with? Um, I mean, just one example. There's just too many examples <laughs> is what it is. Um, the way I make music is, uh, is, is not in collaboration uh, with somebody. Maybe that would work. I, I don't think so, though. Uh, Edie and I have written a co- some songs together, but and we're pretty close. And it's uh, it's hard to get the balance right when you're colla- you know collaborating on writing if you're if if you're just uh, used to writing your own songs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not what anyway, you do. So there's nobody. So there's uh, the people that I like want to work with are are uh, you know maybe somebody who's like a specifically great at playing a pipe organ in a, in a big cathedral, you know, because, like, like, I did that. It wasn't a cathedral, it was a big church. So, I need that player. Then there's, uh... Oh, there's just, um... There's a drummer, a really great jazz drummer, Jack DeJohnette, and he's playing on one of the one of the tracks, and Bobby McFerrin is singing on, in fact, that track that you just listened to. There's just a lot of people who are uh, doing sounds and playing stuff that I lo- that I like to work with, 
and uh, I do. So maybe, maybe more often than you might think, it's people ask you to be on their record or even just participate. There's, it goes on a bit. One of the most vivid memories I have, because I've collected your music, I have everything downloaded, I mean, you name it, and listen to your music all the time. My daughter's 19 years old, and she flips out for your music. She just loves you and loves your music and plays it all the time. When the SNL 40th came, it's you alone. I said to myself, that's it right there. And we talked about some old times Drank ourselves from beers Still crazy after all these years Still crazy after all these years I started crying. My wife and I were crying because it was so beautiful. I'm not the kind of man Tends to socialize My thanks to the great Paul Simon. This is Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Here's the Thing. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.